Beauty, thanks, Ben. Good morning, everyone. Glad you found us here. It's been some kind of week, but we're here. We made it here. Glad that you uh, came. Just fill you in on what's going on, um, in case you don't know. But the symphony has gone bankrupt. That uh, affects our status, of course, in the Conrad Center. But I'm feeling, maybe not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, maybe we'll be back in the Conrad Center. That's my, that's my hope at the moment. We'll see, but we'll keep you posted. Um, but yeah, it's been a struggle this week, and things only got worse for me. Uh, our engine light on our car was flashing, and I booked an appointment. Uh, I booked an appointment a few days later. Something's wrong. Kristen said, I got to go out. She had to take Zoe and two of her friends on their first ever, um, they were going to pick up a little makeup for their, their lips, some lip balms. First ever makeup expedition. And so she took them out and she pulled up into a friend's driveway and the car died. Uh, and she had said, are you sure it's okay to take the car? I said, yeah, you'll be fine. Then it died. So she, she called me and said, um, I'm going to kill you. Because now my car's stuck. But before we get to that, I have to wait here because I'm the one who owns the CAA membership, which means you, Brad, have to take three girls makeup shopping. <laughs> and I thought, Jesus, what sort of purgatory have you put me in this week? Uh, anyway, it's been a rough week, but I, I, I think I finally realized what stained glass is, is about. If you get bored this morning, you can try to figure out what exactly is going on here. I'm not quite sure, but that should allow you. Eh, my mind's wandering, I'll think about what's going on. But um, a difficult week, but our new friends here at St. Andrews have been incredibly, incredibly kind and gracious with us, including that lovely sign on the door. Wasn't that nice? That was just delightful. But no matter where we are, this was the week scheduled. We're going to jump into the season theme, the tensions. The tensions. And so we're going to dive into our season theme this morning. And I have to confess that given what's been happening this year, I'm kind of regretting calling this season the tensions. I feel like we've had enough tension for one year, but alas, we boldly head into the tensions. But what am I speaking of? What are the tensions? Well, this morning what I want to do is give us an overview of the year, where we're heading over the next 10 months together. Essentially, I want to explore the, the, the tension of the human condition. And I think a good summary of humanity's tension can be found within a single story in Scripture. The story of humanity's expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Now at Nexus, we're always trying to better understand Scripture. How to approach it, how do we dialogue with Scripture, how to think about this. And for, for 14 years now, I've been trying to find and teach about a a congruent way to approach scripture, but from all my effort over 14 years, this summer I found, in the span of two sentences, the bestest approach to scripture I've ever heard of. And it doesn't come from a scholar or theologian, it comes from my new favorite literary humorist. I told you I'm going to get a quote in every single week. Harrison Scott Key, this is what he says about the Bible. I believe the Bible is both a comic novel and the oddest 
and most accurate accounting of human psychology ever assembled. A sort of vast cosmic Wikipedia of wisdom about the human comedy, each story a case study in the long war between darkness and light, proud and me. Oh, I wish I'd written that. Love it. Scripture as the oddest and most accurate accounting of human psychology ever assembled. Hmm. And I think nowhere is that more evident than in the story of the Garden of Eden. And let's be honest, it is definitely an odd story. We got talking snakes, angels with swords of fire. But I think the story perfectly captures the tensions we want to enter into this season. Let me just read you the story. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty. That's a great word, crafty. serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Do God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to them, Where are you? They answered, Heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, Ah, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? She said, Ah, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they had been taken. And after he drove them out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That is certainly an odd story. But I have to agree with Key, particularly here. I do think it captures well, perhaps even perfectly, even the multi-dimensional level of tension we experience as human beings. What are those tensions? It's the tension of living in a world of broken shalom, broken peace. Instead of peace and harmony with God, with ourselves, and others, there's now tension. Tension between us and God or the spiritual realm. Tension with us and ourselves. Tension in our relationships. And what we want to do this season is walk into those tensions, explore them. And so often, of course, we want to avoid tension in life because they're hard. But as Brenny Brown would say, we're meant to do hard things. So to enter tensions like these is to be stretched and challenged, hopefully grow. But it requires courage to face these tensions, enter into them. But what might that look like? Let's talk it through on those three levels. Our tensions with God. What does this story say to a psychological account of humanity? Odd. What does this say about a relationship with God? Well, two reflections on my end from the Eden story, because as a psychological account, 
I think Adam and Eve's, Eve's and Adam's dilemma is forever our own. The tensions and struggles are many, but in terms of our tensions with God this season, I want to focus on two of them. And I plan to deal with these tensions in two different ways. One of these tensions I want to teach through, through the month of October. A second one through a book club, Pam. And yes, it's my book club, but I think it will be helpful. Two tensions are this. First, can God be trusted? For Eve and Adam, the struggle, the temptation was trust in this story. God says, enjoy everything except one thing. And for this mythic couple, a doubt creeps in. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe this God is keeping me from something good. Maybe this God is not as kind and loving and compassionate as they seem. Maybe this God is malevolent instead of benevolent. Maybe this God is trying to keep me from living my best life now. And I think that their tension is always our tension. Is God actually good? Does God actually care about me and my troubles? Does God, the universe, whatever, does it care about our fates, what happens to us individually? Or am I just kind of sort of plaything in the universe? Others of us have wondered over time in church, wait, maybe God loves me, but maybe not as much as other people. Even just theologically, there are aspects, you go into scripture and you go, that's a weird story, that's an ugly story. Is this God angry? Is this God violent? Like Adam and Eve, we wonder in the tension, can this God be trusted? And of course, we could probably spend a whole year going through different uh, Bible things that make us wonder that, but I want to I focus on for the month of October. I want to talk about the story of Job and ask the question, God, does God actually care? I want to talk about the story of Abraham and Isaac and ask the question, is God cruel? I want to talk about how much we hear in the Bible about fire and wrath and ask the question, is God angry? And then I want to deal with Jesus' story of the laborers in the vineyard and ask, is God fair? So that's one thing where we're going. But the second tension for... Eve and Adam, a question I think is interesting for us today is this, can God be experienced? The second psychological truth about the Garden of Eden story is that the end of it, humanity is kicked out of the Garden of Eden, exiled, you could say, from God's realm, blocked by these flaming swords. The psychological truth of the story is that as Eve and Adam, so it is with us, post-Eden, God now feels hard to reach, hard to experience. And the portrait we're given early in Scripture is a God who walks and talks freely with his creation, but after eating, God now feels hidden, distant, elusive. So can God be experienced today? And, and I don't mean just in terms of uh, God actually speaking, you hearing an audible Voice. I'm talking bigger than that. Are there out-of-the-ordinary sacred moments? If I asked you, have you ever had an out-of-the-ordinary experience? Some sort of spiritual thing that maybe you can't quite understand, what would you say? Is it possible 
that maybe everything isn't just about the five senses. Is it possible that maybe in the words of Shakespeare's Hamlet, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy? But for this question, I want to address it by way of my, my book club, Encountering Mystery. And for the books I've chosen for my book club, these are not my favorite books. These are books that have stretched me and made me question things about myself and my beliefs. And this one really caught me off guard. I'll just read you the back of the Amazon cover. Despite widespread skepticism on the matter, a significant number of people today have stories of religious experience, moments of inexplicable terror or rapturous joy, visions, near-death experiences of the afterlife, encounters with angels, heavenly voices, and premonitions. How should rationally-minded people respond? By default, in the secular age, we're skeptical about anything mysterious or supernatural. More likely than not, most people would respond to stories like these with embarrassment and concern about the person's grasp of reality or they would attempt to explain them away through rational or scientific means. But the truth is that religious experiences like these are not as uncommon as they seem, although talking about such experiences often is. In the book, Dale Allison enjoins us to be honest about the persistence of religious experience in a secular age, and to make space for those who encounter mystery in their lives. This is of interest to me for a number of reasons of some experiences I've had. I'll tell you about two. This summer, went on a wilderness pilgrimage with my good friends Riley and John. We're going to head out into the wilderness, but because my friend Riley's getting married next week, I said, well, you pick. What's the one thing you want to do? We'll make sure we get it in. And he said, the one thing I definitely want to do is stay at the world-famous Clown Motel. Now, the Clown Motel is apparently haunted by ghosts. And I had zero interest in this. Um, and I immediately started questioning why he's my friend. Um, but I agreed. We would go and we would stay at the haunted, world-famous Clown Motel. Now, if you need a picture of what the Clown Motel looks like, because I don't have slides this morning, picture the most dilapidated, gross motel on the side of an abandoned road, and then add 12,000 clowns around the place. Pictures of clowns, clowns everywhere. And what makes it worse is that because it's in Tonopah, Nevada, and it's situated right by a very, very strange graveyard, which we toured the night we were there. And it's strange because, uh, as rumor has it, uh, the area was flooding a lot. So they decided to move bodies from one cemetery. They moved them over to this cemetery. And what makes it fascinating is everyone in the graveyard tells you, you know, their name, which you typically expect, and uh, when they died. It also tells you how they died. So you're walking around and be like, this guy got crushed in a mine shaft accident. This baby choked on its own soother. I'm like, wow, this is, it's freaky. And so it's a strange, strange place. I didn't know what I was doing there, but I'm like, fine, I can make it through the night. Went to bed, slept through the night, woke up. And the first thing I thought to myself is, I made it through 
the Creepy Clown Hotel. And then, my friend beside me, John, said, oh my goodness! What? He said, three t-shirts are laid out right in front of the TV. They're my t-shirts. I, I left my suitcase closed last night. This is a, did anyone lay out my t-shirts? I said, no, what are you talking about? Riley woke up, what's going on? What's going on? My suitcase was closed and there's three t-shirts laid out neatly. Three t-shirts. Hmm. Now, as far as ghost stuff goes, that seems pretty, eh, like, turn the lights on and off or shake the curtains or, or something, but t-shirts laid out nicely. I mean, this is strange. So I was like, this is weird. Who did it? Did you, are you sure you didn't leave them out? No, no, I swear I didn't. I swear I didn't. Riley, did you do this? No, I swear. I swear, I swear. And then we go to checkout, and the man at the front counter has no teeth, as you'd expect in a place like this. And I said, just by interest's sake, three t-shirts were left out in our hotel room. And he started laughing. He said, do you not know where you are? He said, you're at the clown hotel. It's haunted here. I said, come on, man. Be real with me. He's like, oh, that's Jenny. Jenny, she's always moving things around on guests. So, huh. So I got in the car, and that day I was in the back seat, I had time to think, and I went all into um, Sherlock Holmes mode. Because the one thing I didn't want was to be a ghost guy. The only place ghost people are welcome is at campfires. Everybody loves a good ghost story at a campfire. But to me, being a ghost guy felt like I would have to change lifestyles, you know? Have to start watching Discovery Channel, Ghost Hunters, telling him, buying equipment, infrared equipment, checking places out. I thought, no, I don't, do not want to be that guy. And so I came up, there's four possible solutions. My friends are lying, but they've looked me in the eye and swore that they're not. Hmm. Second, the clown motel curates these experiences by somehow breaking in in the night and setting up t-shirts. I ruled this one out because I thought that could be really dangerous if, if they broke in and three men discovered they're being robbed. That could be, that doesn't seem like they're in that business for $70 a night. That didn't seem. <laughs> Third, maybe one of us had done something in our sleep and we didn't know it, but all three of us swore I didn't wake up during the night. Fourth, maybe I had a ghost experience. And in that moment, you're like, where are you going with this, Brad? Are you, you're coming out as a ghost guy. Hold with me. In that moment, in the back of the car, I thought, wow, maybe, just maybe, I have to rethink what I believe and what I thought I believed. And maybe what was possible. What's real? Is it possible that ghosts exist? Seven days later, trip was coming to an end. We'd landed, driven across the border. I was about to say goodbye to my friend Riley. I gave him a hug, and he whispered in my ear, I set up those t-shirts. <laughs> I need new friends. I need new friends. But let me tell you another experience I had. This one I can't shake. 
with Riley again, of all things, uh, but I, I know he's not lying to me because this happened to me. You're traveling. I was asleep. I've never told anyone this before because I don't know what to do with it. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't breathe. It was like somebody had knocked the wind out of me. And I got, flipped over, and just, and I, I couldn't get any breath. And Riley woke up at the same time, screaming from something else. And it took me five minutes to catch my breath. It was like somebody had struck me, like just somebody had, had choked me. Riley said, what is going on with you? Because I just had a nightmare. When I was able to breathe, what was your nightmare? He said, there was a presence over our bed writing in hieroglyphic things over our beds. And it scared me, and I woke up, and then you can't breathe. I don't know what to do with that. I don't ever told anyone, because it's kind of like, maybe I just couldn't breathe. That's really never happened to me. Snore, yes. The tension for me is this, is we tend to live in the world, we've talked about this before, where we think, operate under this imminent frame. There's nothing beyond the five senses, but sometimes you go, but is there? Is there something strange? Are there malevolent forces? What, is, what does an experience like that even mean? I haven't parsed it, I don't know, I don't, in any way, I don't know. In fact, I, I'm feeling really weird. You're all looking at me like, dude, that's strange. I'm like, I know, that's strange. But maybe our world is strange. And sometimes we're blinded to it. And if you believe what's written in this book, I've never had somebody so rationally minded come to this. So what he said is a lot of people have strange experiences and nobody likes to talk about them. And I just want to walk into that tension and be like, maybe our world is stranger than we think. And maybe encounters with the divine, something else, I don't know. But at least let us think beyond what might be possible. It leaves you wondering, there's research lately, I mean, this book doesn't deal with that, but hallucinogenic and psychedelic drugs that might provide spiritual experiences, bring down the, the sort of frame between us and some other whatever. I just want to walk into those tensions and ask, maybe just because we live east of Eden, maybe God is still able to be experienced in ways that maybe we don't like to talk about. Now that I've freaked you out there, let's talk about our tension with ourselves. The Eden story doesn't just speak to tensions the way we understand the spiritual or God. It also speaks powerfully towards the tensions we experience within ourselves. Consider what the Eve and Adam story exposes about the, the human condition. Like Eve and Adam, think about it, we as humans can come to desire the very things that hurt us which is strange, don't you think? Like Eve and Adam, we can look at those things that might seem forbidden and go, that looks good. I think I'm attracted to things that might hurt me. 
And is their story not so different than our own? Attracted to things that might be harmful for us. Is that not the nature of uh, addictions? I have a very good friend who likes to say, I don't trust anyone without a vice. I like that. But if I parsed it down, I think what that statement means would be that I don't trust people who aren't honest enough to own that they have vices. Or B, I don't trust people who are too righteous to have a vice. The reality is this, we all have addictions, we all have vices. And Anna Lemke, she's the author of a great book, Dopamine Nation. She writes this, we all have vices and addictions, and if you don't, it's coming to you soon on a website near you. <laughs> and I don't want to just talk about alcohol or drugs. All of us have addictions and are attracted to things that might be harmful. Romance novels, sports betting, online shopping, social media, our phones. What would it mean for us this season to walk into that tension and be like, let's talk about the fact that we're all addicts. Maybe lean into that, maybe confront that together. What else do we learn from the garden story? Well, we're easily deceived by talking snakes. We're easily deceived by the promise of something making our lives better. I've been thinking about this. I remember when I first got the iPhone 3. And I said, this makes my life better. And what's it been, 15 years? I'm like, I'm not sure this makes my life better. I don't know. We're easily deceived by the promise of life will be better if this. Moreover, we also learned this about ourselves from the story. We can become ashamed of ourselves and hide like Eve and Adam did, which is a curious thing. You know, since I've got a dog, I've realized that animals do have emotions. My, my dog is capable of shame. It'll do something, right? It'll be like, Lloyd. It'll be, you know, kind of like, oh, okay. But we have the most complex emotions and awareness. We can be ashamed of ourselves. We can wander around, but what does it mean to be human? You don't have a bear or dog going, am I living into my true self? Am I living into a dog nature, a bear nature? Am I being true to my bear nature? So far as we know, other animals don't have that, but we have this nagging question inside ourselves, an experience unique to humanity, being who I'm supposed to be. So over the course of the season, we want to spend some time. Let's talk about addictions. That's going to be an uncomfortable one for me, but let's talk about addictions. Let's talk about time. Let's talk about our relationship with technology and our vices. Because it's attention. We don't talk about that stuff. Of course, the Eden story also speaks powerfully towards our relational tensions. And it speaks to the human propensity. Adam, what have you done? Well, it was her. Eve, what have you done? It was the snake. Blame. In life, we often suffer. We make decisions and our, as humans, our first propensity is, yeah, but it, mm, not really my fault. Kind of that thing, that person. I want to blame. 
the experience of enmity and tensions in our relationships, power struggles, feeling as though it's someone else who has hurt us. And so on top of everything else this year, we also want to dive into the tension of relationships this year. Um, for me, that means we're going we're gonna to dust off an old sermon, but we're going we're gonna to take it even further. We're going to dust off sex on a ladder. We're going to update it. But we also want to go a lot further because we want to talk about sex on a ladder, lust on a ladder, marriage on a ladder, intimacy on a ladder, conflict on a ladder, friendships on a ladder. Everything's going to be on a ladder. We want to help us walk into the tensions we all regularly feel and experience in our relationships. And so, my friends, this is where the Jesus path seems to be taking us this year. I don't doubt some of you are like, this is strange. Here's the thing, as I mentioned last June, I had the sense, even late in the spring last year, that this year was going to be hard, and I didn't know it was because we wouldn't have a building part of the time, but I just knew this year's going to be hard. It's going to be no cakewalk, no easy work but we're made to do hard things. And those tough tasks are made easier when we're carrying heavy loads together. So welcome to a year of tensions, a year of wrestling in the tensions. I'm gonna ask the band to, uh, to come, John and Dave, as we close, but I just wanna comment briefly on, I've always seen, if, if we had here at Nexus a theme store, you know, some people have, this is my life verse. If Nexus had a life Bible story, it would have to be the story of Jacob wrestling with God. I love that story. There's so much in it. I've always, people ask, are you, are you Presbyterian? What denomination are you? I just like, we're a Jacobian community because we're wrestling with God all the time. And the thing about wrestling with God is you can be sure you'll come away with a limp. But Amy Jill Levine, in her, she's a Jewish scholar, her commentary on this story, she says, yes, you come away with a limp, but if you keep, if you keep wrestling, you also walk away with a blessing. So what happened to Jacob? Wrestled, wrestled, hip out of joint. God's like, are you done? No. I'm not done wrestling until you give me a blessing. And that's sort of my prayer for us this year. Let's wrestle, wrestle, and when it gets hard, like, huh, are we done? No, nope, no, nope. we won't quit until we come away blessed because of it. I can't help but think of the, the movie The Wrestler starring Mickey Rourke and Bruce Springsteen wrote a song for the movie. The movie tells the story of an aging wrestler who used to be at the height of his career, had all the fame and spotlight, and now his body's broken down and he's wrestling in gyms and he's trying to make things work with his daughter because he messed up that relationship, trying to make other relationship works. And the whole movie is him wrestling with his body, with his demons, with his relationships. I thought, no better movie or song or story to sort of usher us into a year of tension. So this was Bruce Springsteen's song called The Wrestler. 